So the year was 1992. I was about four feet tall. I was missing a front tooth, and I may or may not have had a moderate to severe mullet. Uh, I was at my desk, staring out the window, daydreaming, thinking about anything and everything but school, when all of a sudden, the squeaking of a wheel started getting louder in the hallway as it approached our classroom, and kids start whispering, oh, what, 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 what is it, what's going on, what's gonna happen? When all of a sudden our door opens and in comes Mrs. Roberts with her teacher sweater on, my second grade teacher, and she pulls in the TV cart, you know, with the big old television and the VCR and cords pointing everywhere. No, no one really knew what these cords did. And every single kid in that room loses their literal mind. Because it's movie day. It's Friday afternoon and we don't want to do any learning. But today... It's movie day. We have finally moved enough marbles from the frowny face jar to the smiley face jar, and we get to watch Butterfly in the Sky, Reading Rainbow. And LeVar Burton just pulls us into the story, transports us to another world. And the stories, they always seemed so foreign yet so familiar because the context was totally different, but the themes spoke into our real life experience. This morning, I've got a story. Uh, this morning, I've got a, uh, an important story, and today, th this story is likewise is similar. The, the context is very different. But man, the, the themes in this story hit home. Uh, because this story wrestles with questions like, where is God in the details and the discouragement, like the, the, the process and the, the pain? Where is God in the daily grind of life? And, and what's the point of it all? This, this story teaches us that God has a much bigger story that he is writing. And our, our little stories here on earth, uh, they don't really make sense unless we see how he is writing and carrying out his bigger story in and through our littler stories. This is, this is important. Because if, if you don't understand how God is involved... In the, in the daily hardships of life, eventually the daily hardships of life will leave you disillusioned with God. You might be there already. I, I, I don't know. But this story, this story teaches us that there will be crucial moments where your faith is tested. This story teaches us that there will be long, dry seasons through which your faith has to persevere. Man, but this story, it also teaches us that there will be reward at the end of it all. And some of that reward bleeds over into this life. 
Not all of it, not even most of it, and not all the time, but sometimes some of the word bleeds over into this life. But most of it, it waits until the, the, the next chapter. So what story is this? Well, this is the story of some of Jesus's great, 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 I didn't do the math. I don't know how many greats, but it's a whole bunch of them. Grandparents. This story is situated somewhere in the genealogical line that ultimately leads to Jesus. This is a story of a family from Bethlehem. This is a story of the birth of a son that changes everything. The title of this book is Ruth, and there's a lot in this book. I, lo I love this book. It's a little, short, sweet, Old Testament book. There's so much in here. I promise y'all, I could preach out of this book from here until Easter. Y you might get bored, but I wouldn't. I would still be just as excited about it. There's so much in here. There's no way I can wring every ounce of it out this morning. But I want you to see three key things that this story illustrates. We, I want you to see how this story illustrates the harsh reality of this world. Number two, I want you to see how this story illustrates our painful experience in this world. But number three, I want you to see how this story illustrates that God promises hope to this world. Okay, so here's how it starts. Ruth chapter one, verses one and two, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Because right off the bat, you can, just in the introduction, you can start to see the harsh reality of this world. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. I don't know if you ever read the book of Judges or not, but if you have, you will know these were turbulent, violent times. They were marked by war and hardship and suffering all kinds of spiritual and political and social unrest. And then on top of that, it says there was a famine. This is beyond a bad economy. This is beyond a stock market crash. This is survival. And these are hard times that were so bad that this family goes, and it says they went to sojourn in Moab. This is Israel's ancient enemy. <laughs> These are the bad guys. The going is so tough that they have to go live in the land of the, the bad guys. But they, 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 they do what they've got to do to survive. So the family leaves their home. But at least they've got each other, right? Verse 3. But Elimelech... The husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, 
And both Malone and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. There's no words to express the pain and desolation that are marking Naomi's life at this point. If you've got a, someone close to you that you've lost, if you've lost a close loved one, you, you know. You'll, you'll get it. Just think back to that. Think back to the first month after they passed. Live there just for a second. You see, when, when sin entered the world, it held the door open for disease, death, pain. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. So we feel it. Naomi felt it. See, this story illustrates the harsh reality of this world. And this is where people start wondering, and I would say rightfully so, this is where people start wondering, where, where is God when you get the diagnosis, when you see abject poverty, when you, when you lower your spouse or your child into the ground, where, where's God in that? So widowed in a foreign land, Left with nothing, Naomi decides to move back to her hometown. One daughter-in-law, Orpah, she leaves and goes back to her family. The other one, Ruth, loyal, courageous Ruth, she says, Now, I'm going with you, Naomi. I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to follow your God. She says this famous line, Where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people, right? Loyal Ruth, she, she goes with them. And then so verse 19 then says, so the two of them, this is Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? You see, Naomi means pleasant. Amara means bitter. And she says, don't, this isn't pleasant. Don't call me. This is, this is, this is bitter. I, I want to ask, do you identify with Naomi right there? Did you, did you feel that? Do you resonate with Naomi? See, this story doesn't just illustrate the harsh reality of this world. It also illustrates our painful experience in it. The world's not just hard. Life is. This is where we start asking, not only where's God, but what's the point? Because between cups of coffee, we all perpetually slog through the mundane, 
And you, we, we get up, you brush your teeth, you drive somewhere, you work for a while. You might get annoyed, you have a sandwich. Every once in a while, we mix it up by going to the dentist and get a guilt trip about not flossing enough. Uh, just on and, and, and on until uh, tragedy hits. It's just kind of cup of coffee to cup of coffee for most of us. And you start to wonder, what's, what's the point of this? And then tragedy hits. And we're not Naomi anymore. We feel a little bit more like Mara. And you're saying, I used to be full. Right now, I'm, I'm not full. I, I am empty. Do you, do you see what God's done? So why did he let this happen? Why did, why, did he allow, why did he do this? If he's in control and actually loves me, why didn't he do something about it? Um, the good news is the story doesn't end there. <laughs> I'm really glad they never lost chapters 2, 3, and 4 because this would be the most hopeless, discouraging story on the planet. But the story, it doesn't end in chapter one. That's not where it ends for Naomi, and hallelujah, that's not where it ends for us, okay? This keeps going. Chapter two, three, and four give us hope. Because from here, the story continues to move through the seemingly mundane. Are they, I'll give you some of the, 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 the highlight reel. They get hungry. They find food. They eat bread. People go to work. They go to sleep. They change clothes. They wear perfume. They buy real estate. On and on through the daily grind of life. But in between the minutiae of it all, there is, there is emotion and romance and risk and courage and culture. There's a marriage, there's highs, there's, there's lows, and then there's a baby who's born, and he changes everything. And we start to see that God isn't absent. He's not absent in the pain. He's not absent in the process. He's not absent even in the discouragement or the details. It's in chapter 2, listen to this, how it goes. Ruth just so happens to meet a man named Boaz, who just, just so happens to be a member of Naomi's family, who just so happens to be one of the men who could, by law at the time, assume responsibility of Naomi's family. And he just so happens to be a man of noble character, full of compassion, and he just so happens to admire Ruth's character and loyalty to Naomi. In chapter 3, Ruth, very counterculturally, asks Boaz to marry her. And he just so happens to say yes. And then in chapter 4, there's a series of transactional and cultural processes that could not be more foreign to us, but they all just so happen to work out to the point where it ends up that the two eventually walk down the aisle. See, God's providence is evidenced throughout the whole story. There is evidence of God there working quietly, consistently, with integrity, and with effectiveness. God is there. 
The evidence of God's providence is just so woven in and around and, and, and through every single detail. To the point we get to chapter 4, verse 13, and it, and it says this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And they did what a mommy and daddy who love each other very much do. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child. I want you to picture this. Naomi, with all her scars, with all the pain, with all she's been through, she takes the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse, his caretaker. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been given to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This story doesn't just illustrate the harsh reality of this world or our painful experience in it. This story illustrates hope. This story illustrates God's promise of hope to this world. He was there in the hard stuff. That's just what this story teaches us. He, he was working out his plan all along. And, and you get Grandma Naomi sitting there with baby Obed in her lap. Uh, she gets it. At that point, she gets it. She's not in the same spot she was in in chapter one, is she? Now, she's still got the scars. You don't bury a husband or bury a, a child and not have the scars. But there is something about new life that makes losing life a little bit easier to understand, isn't it? But so much more, so much more than, than, than that. I mean, sometimes the rewards for faith-filled perseverance, they do bleed into this life, but far bigger picture so much more important is that this story points to another baby, a son of David who would be born in Bethlehem, a baby whose birth would bring a thrill of hope to a weary world, a baby that would bring joy, a redeemer, a king, a, a servant. You know, Obed means servant, and Jesus was the ultimate servant, Emmanuel, God with us. Where is God in the details? The story points to God with us. This story ultimately points to Jesus. This story is, it's in here for a lot of reasons, but I believe mostly to show the providential way 
God preserved the lineage of Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, his son, hope in a body, hope with facial hair, a real hope, God with us. You see, the big story in this little story, it points to Jesus ultimately. And God is at work. I want you to know this morning that God is not absent in your life. Do you think that when they were in the middle of the famine and not knowing what to do, that Naomi and her husband were praying for a miracle? You better believe it. Do you think that when uh, Elimelech Naomi's husband was on his deathbed. Do you think that Naomi was praying for a miracle? You bet. Or when her son was dying. Or when her other son was dying. You think she was praying for a miracle? You bet. Do you think Naomi was angry with God? Probably. Um, but was God absent? Absolutely not. Did he seem silent? Probably. Uh, the teacher is always the quietest during the exam. Silence does not equal absence. On their end, Ruth and Naomi, they trusted God. Even when it did, they didn't understand it at all, they, 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 they trusted God. And even, and even when it was indescribably hard, they persevered. And on his end, God never stopped working out his perfect plan through the ordinary details of their life. This teaches us that we don't have to understand everything to trust him. Yeah. Your faith will be tried. Uh, there will be times that you have to persevere. It will be hard. God will not respond the way you want him to every time. Well, that doesn't mean he's absent. That doesn't mean he's not with you. Okay. Because he will also reward you. Some in this life, but mostly not. But some. But I just want you to know, church, that even, even when you don't understand it all, even when he seems silent, even, even when he doesn't work the miracle, God has not abandoned you. And if you hold on a couple more days or a couple more decades or a couple more the rest of your life, things will make sense. Here's my challenge. Like LeVar Burton used to say, you don't have to take my word for it. You can find out for yourself. And by the way, any of you who don't know LeVar Burton, 
uh, you got a YouTube <laughs> reading rainbow because uh, this was formative in, in, in everyone my age <laughs> in our lives. Uh, here's my challenge for you, church. Read the book of Ruth this week. It's four chapters. It takes about 14 minutes to read it out loud from, from the very beginning to the very end. Get, read this. Read this story. Read this book. And, and try to enter into it. Try to, try to uh, see your story. Try to, try to, try to relate. And as you, as you enter this story, and then you reflect on your story, here's what I want you to do. Ask God to help you see how he is working his big story in and through your little story. Does that make sense? This story teaches us that God has a big story and he's working it out in the little story. We all have our own little stories and God is at work uh, writing those, that story out. But I'll tell you, that story, it ain't about us. We aren't the main characters. It's about Jesus. So God has a big story and it points to Jesus. Dive into Ruth, enjoy it, love it maybe, and, and enter into it and see how God will speak to you. And maybe from it, you will draw the encouragement that you need to keep following Jesus for the rest of the week or so. And, and then you come back next Sunday, we'll give you something else. After, the, after I close in prayer and the benediction, I'll remind you, that if you would like prayer about something, uh, I'll be over here with an elder. There'll be a couple more elders over here. There's still a couple elders downstairs. Feel free to come forward and receive prayer. Please stand with me, church. <laughs> Wrapping up a little early. Can you do me a huge favor and make the DL staff very happy and just hang out for for about five minutes before you go down and get your kids. This is, this is, you, you'll win some serious, this is my, your Christmas gift to me, parents. <laughs> just, just, take, just take a few minutes, chat with someone, grab a cup of coffee. You, you know you only had three, you need number four. Uh, don't, please don't go get your kids quite yet. Give them a little time to finish up. Uh, pray with me. Jesus. We see that this story, the big story, the real story, the most important story, it's all about you. We see that this world is harsh and our experience of it is painful and it doesn't always make sense. I, I, I don't understand always how you do everything, but I do understand from the book of Ruth that you are always doing something and it's always the best thing. Would you give us, fill us with whatever is needed, the faith, the perseverance, the grit, Jesus, to be the type of people who keep following you even in the desert, even through the pain, even through the hard stuff. Because I know that at the end of it all, you've got reward. And most of all, that reward is you, Jesus. We praise you, we love you, and we want to glorify you. We want to be a church that shines brightly. I thank you for my church. I thank you for everyone here this morning, and I ask your richest blessing. Amen.
Church, may God bless you and keep you, and I'll see you next Sunday.